peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. And welcome back, guys, to another Softly Performance Podcast. Uh, here with me today again is good old Matt. Um, we we actually tried to start this podcast about 10 minutes ago, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, we we failed epically, and that was on my end, and I'll take full <laughs> accountability for that. One, I started looking for my earphones, couldn't find them, and we were like first two minutes into a conversation. I fucked the whole flow up, and then it took me another five, ten minutes to go ahead and find uh, some earphones. So, <laughs> so George's heart yeah. rate's kind of come down from about 220, maybe to something a little bit more A oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. That, that, that is the truth. I was like, what the fuck? But all right, we're good now. Changing my state, we're good. I got coffee, got some uh, sparkling water, and time to have a good conversation. Uh, but before <laughs> before we had all of that fiasco happen, we were actually um, conversating and talking a little bit about um, process oriented training and goal oriented training. And the reason, you know, we've kind of been digging deeper into some of like our um, ideas of why we train and program a specific way for not just the the tactical athlete, but the everyday human being. What we found is that like we're only focusing majority of people are only focusing a lot of their standards and their movements and the way they perceive load due to external sources like a, a powerlifting meet or a weightlifting meet or we can use the a pull up for the P, for the PFT in the Marine Corps right we train to a specific standard to meet that standard but how much of that standard has transferability or the way we like to call it and what we're, we're creating is the tactical tra- transferability scale. Mm. How does that have transferability to the novel task of the occupation? And again, you know, since Matt's been on the company now, what, going on six months now, you've been over here with us. Yeah. It's, mm. it's only made me have to dive deeper into the way I want to explain things and share things and do those kinds of things due to the fact that I've never really been able to do so. I've always been able to just speak about it. And whenever I did speak about it, it kind of came out gibberish. And those who have been listening to the podcast since 2000, let's say when we started 2017, 18, right. you guys have seen a huge improvement probably in my speaking. If you follow me on social media with my writing. Um, and the next evolution for me was to learn how to go ahead and take such a dynamic thought process that I have in my head and put it down on paper. And Matt has done a really good job in facilitating those conversations to go ahead and take what George has in his brain. And he then takes it into Matt's brain and does some weird decipher. And then all of a sudden it's boom. And you're just like, Comes that's exactly English. what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, not very many people in this world speak George. And if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm pretty sure you'd also speak George. So congratulations. <laughs> We're all uh, leveling up here. Um, but yeah, so we fell into, you know, this idea of process oriented training and, and goal oriented training. And it, it matches a lot with what, um, what I'm doing currently with school, right? Like I'm, I'm deep into my senior year of the sports psych degree, and I couldn't be more ecstatic to be in this position where by the end of the year, I'll have a bachelor's in sports psychology and it opens the doors for a lot of really cool things. But what it's done for us as a company, it's allowed for Matt and I to sit here and have these conversations to go ahead and start putting out a little bit of our thought process and how we view training and why Softleaf's programming does work. And I understand some people will argue that, hey, it's just an app. How does that help people? And and it's not just an app. And, and that's something that we've been hitting on here. It's a community. There's 
the coaches literally we're having intent behind what we want to set because we know exactly what we want to put and what we want the athlete to do. Um, so we got asked from our higher ups to go ahead and start putting together some, you know, <laughs> an infographic as simple as possible. And, and, and as much as we can simplify it for everyone to understand, you know, how do we create this idea of where it's like, you know, for example, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at the process oriented um, training approach and, and Matt named it preparing for the unknown. And something really cool that I love the fact that he put training needs to effectively prepare tactical professionals for exposure to novel tasks while on duty. Yeah. Um, so we, the, the kind of the whole concept behind this is almost to try and with this whole series, I guess, that we, we've done and are still recording as long as George keeps touch with his headphones. We're, um, we, we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to almost like uh, give you guys kind of a peek behind the curtain, if you like. So a, a look at, a look at kind of the machinery that, that kind of is at work to deliver you what you see on the app. So we, we want to try and rather than just have you following it, sort of monkey see, monkey do, standard kind of like grunt approach of, I'll oh, just get my head down and grind. Actually, what we're, we're trying to move towards now is, is giving you the, the tools and the insight to see the day's training and think, oh, okay, I understand why today we're doing what we're doing. And obviously this, this gives us massive, like a massive advantage in terms of, of moving everybody's performance on not just in terms of if you understand what you're doing, if you haven't got access to a particular bit of kit or you're, something's hurting or you need to work around a problem, it gives you the tools to be able to do that. But also we, we want to try and start having this conversation now, of, of, as George has been saying, of kind of increasing the, the transferability, if you like. So we, we, we as a company and as a, as a kind of a, a strength conditioning industry and community are very good at making athletes strong in the gym. Um, like we're, we're seeing ridiculous world record kind of back squats um, and things from the kind of feats from powerlifting world. Same thing from kind of Olympic weightlifting. Same thing from the from the track with, with sprinting. We're getting very good at making people very strong and very quick in, in closed environments where there's maybe a bit of a gap, a bit of a mismatch in the in kind of literature in, ter- in terms of the practice as well. Is well, that's great. But how does it work in a in a kind of a novel, unknown, stressful environment like the tactical world? So like the like law enforcement or like the the kind of military world. Um, so that that's kind of where we've been where we've been looking at, uh, at, at at this kind of project really. It's this idea of deciding whether we want our training to be what we call process orientated or whether we want to be more goal orientated. Um, and we're we're absolutely not saying that. One is great and one is shit, and you need to choose. We're just saying that, like like anything, they're they're kind of a tool, and you need to understand what like why you're programming in that way, so that we can kind of get the get the outcome. Is that would you say that's kind of a fair, like a fair? No, hundred percent. You nailed it on the head, and and that's something that I want to dive into next. More is you know goal oriented training. Mm. I, I think that is you know, an approach that I think every coach needs to take with their athlete, no matter the sport domain. Yeah. Football, basketball, soccer, sprint. Um, I meant sprint sprinting track yeah, yeah. track. Um, there's a Georgism, <laughs> uh, track along with, you know, as you, as you started naming these sports that I started naming out sports that I kind of come from strongman, weightlifting, ultra endurance, racing, mm. weight, li- uh, CrossFit, right? Yeah, like, yeah. and as much as everyone wants to say that CrossFit isn't, uh, isn't part of that, no CrossFit falls under strength conditioning. Unfortunately, it's a sport that people compete in and it's a very high level type thing. 
So when we go ahead and take all of these sports together, each of that sport has a specific goal, right? And and to be a tactical professional, you are in a sport, your job, you're a warfighter, right? No matter what your occupation is, you must meet specific standards, but you're also expected to perform on demand. On demand. Mm, yeah. So yeah, we need to get away from this idea of like, hey, I am a you know, sergeant in the Marine Corps, and I am now training for a weightlifting meet, but I know that I have a deployment in seven months that's going to expect me to move for more than five hours, that's going to go ahead and ask me to go ahead to jump over canals and do all these different types of um, tasks that require me to perform my job. What and how does weightlifting have transferability to that, right, without setting me up for failure? Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe just to kind of set the scene for, for guys who perhaps, if, you, if you're not kind of super into this this area of, of performance and of, of fitness, this, this idea of open and closed skills. So a, a sport like weightlifting, um, be that powerlifting, be that Olympic lifting, uh, to a certain extent, you could argue CrossFit and, and Strongman as well. Uh, so a closed skill is is something where there's no, if you, if you picture like a, a complete circle, there's no room for kind of uncertainty. You, you know that the bar is going to be on the floor. It's not going to suddenly jump up and, and bite you. You know how much weight's on the bar and you know that you've got like a certain amount of time to, to kind of complete the lift. So there's no reactivity in that. Whereas like an, an open skill, so for instance, George, you mentioned basketball and football, things like that. Um, there you've got an element of reactivity because you don't know which way the, the defending player is going to go or you don't know um, kind of, uh, which way you're going to have to to move and to and to run. So there's that. Again, if you picture that circle, we we now have kind of like a section or a chunk of that circle that we don't know because that's that's kind of up, left up to the opposition almost. Um, and, and that very much kind of sets the scene for for what it is we're talking about. In that the vast majority of things we do in training in the gym, by their very nature, they are closed loop. So you know that you've got five sets of five zerchers or you know you've got three sets of 10 strict press. You know how much weight is going to be on there. You know generally what the implement's going to be like and, and nothing crazy is going to happen while you while you do it. So, so kind of understanding those two kind of uh, like different types of skill, I think is, is kind of important for, for moving on the list. Well, and I think that's a valid point, right? Because when we go ahead and look at, you know, the reactivity of a movement or of a sport, there also has to be a response within that sport or within the immersion of that sport. And mm -hmm. something we both just kind of got to dive into thanks to a buddy of mine, Bo, who did a podcast with us just before this one. Um, it put us into some really cool, um, I, at least for me, being able to look at our movement as from a strength conditioning perspective, okay, because these guys were talking from a human, from a performance leadership, how to get big businesses to go, which is fascinating. And it's mm -hmm. like, I could see myself doing that in the future for sure. Yeah. Matt, you too, right? Like, we, <laughs> like it, it's, it's really cool, but it's just something that we're learning to do within our space as strength conditioning coaches and has human performance coaches, however you want to like view our profession. It really gives you the idea of being able to, again, one of the key terms is own the clock, <laughs> yeah. right? So like owning the clock, being able to take that owning the clock and moving it into the gym and understanding that, hey, I own this time to train. I need to go ahead and take advantage and leverage as much as I can to get me ready for whatever novel task has me coming up in seven months for a deployment instead of walking in and just snatching and clean and jerking and squatting and doing some GPP stuff and just being, again, 
reactive. I, I look at that from that perspective when it's like, no, I own the clock. I'm going to respond to make sure that I'm set in the proper manner, like the proper headspace and the proper physical attributes that I need to go ahead and perform my occupation while on that deployment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of almost to, to come back to what you, the example you were given before about the, the sergeant who wants to compete in a, in a weightlifting meet and then deploy. So we're, what we're not saying is that there's no use in weightlifting and that it's bad and you shouldn't do it as tactical athlete. What, what we're just, what we're saying is that preparing for a weightlifting meet is very different to preparing for a, a deployment. Um, and probably with your background, George, I, I imagine you've got some kind of first-hand experience of like trying to do tactical stuff off the back of heavy weightlifting training. You know, I'm probably going to surprise a lot of people with this, but like my training leading up to like my deployments was nothing, man. It was literally the job. Like to be completely fucking honest, like you didn't see me out in the gym all the time. Like I was so exhausted from just doing the job from patrollings and workups and all those things that like when it came time to PT on your own, yeah, did we go and, and go for some runs? Did we go to the gyms here and there? I think I got more gym time and I like on my first deployment in Iraq than my than any other time throughout my career in the Marine Corps until maybe when I got back from my second deployment was an instructor. Um but to be honest, it was just like I was always doing the job. Mm. So I think that's what kind of helped carry over to be able to still put on a ruck and run for 10 miles, yeah, yeah. you know, because we would still have like still have battalion, um, you know, PT sessions where it was like, you know, as a recon unit, you know, it was like, hey, put a ruck on and ruck to the beach and then fin or something, you know, fucking hard as fuck that they want to go ahead and make sure everyone can still do the job, even though we are doing the job. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, that's know, ultimately, that's think, SPP, isn't it? That's how you can't get any more specific yeah. than doing the job. So I guess you can say that, right? Like I was in the very SPP aspect during the time I was in the military. And maybe it was just because of how kinetic and how crazy the time was from, you know, 07 all the way to, to the back end of 11 of the time when I was operational and doing deployments and workups and doing all those things. Um, so then when I got to the schoolhouse and the schoolhouse op tempo was completely different. Right. Um, so I was able to train that way. And that's when I started kind of doing more you know, functional fitness, sure, weightlifting, sure. you know, endurance had always been a thing I've done since a kid. I had played soccer for my whole life, you know, like yeah. a goalkeeper for 13 years. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where I just kind of had the endurance slightly background already. So I kind of just fell into it. Mm. Luckily I had a swim background because I was a lifeguard in the, in, as a, in high school, as a, you know, oh, cool. from like my freshman and sophomore year before I dropped out my senior year yeah. for a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I was able, I had a lot of these other things from life that kind of helped carry over. And yeah, I guess a lot of what just kind of helped me get through and look at my training from that was, I didn't start really training physically to get the tactical fighter or tactical warfighter ready mm. until I got to the, until I was actually in my second deployment in 2010. Sure. When I was like, holy shit, like when we come back from, you know, missions and there was times where we were out for 60 days straight to where we had to train with whatever we had there. But then when we came back for a couple of weeks, we were able to use the gym. Mm. And that's when I kind of started realizing like, oh, I was like, I needed to train because I needed to up to keep up my system for my missions. Right. So could you so feel it was like, like, could you feel like a bit of a deficit? Like, could you feel? Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, because to be completely honest, when you think about it, like when we were in Afghanistan in 2010, dude, it was you know, we were there for the first two weeks, you know, prepping, getting shit together. I don't think many of us had any gym time. It was, again, doing the job. We were yeah, doing yeah. dry rehearsals, patrols, and open fields. We were doing vehicle stuff. We were at ranges. We were doing all of those things, getting ready to, like, to carry. And I'm going to be completely honest, like, those guys in that 2010 deployment who listen to this podcast right now who have deployed to Afghanistan, 
you know, that sometimes when you first insert for a mission and, you know, you get told, hey, you're going to be out there for a week, that week loadout looks like 110 to 120 pounds on your back, plus your fucking shooter's vest and helmet and everything yeah, else. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> you know. Those guys who haven't done that, that's very different to 110 pounds on a bar or a dumbbell. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't have much gym time then. Like it was just doing the job, right? Like having to take a knee with an 80 pound ruck on your back, full load and with your helmet and like night vision goggles on taking a knee and have to stand back up. Like I was performing the job and I was having, so there's a reason why I have one leg is weaker than the other <laughs> Yeah. because I automatically naturally just always went down to a knee on my, uh, on my right knee. So mm. my left leg got stronger. Yeah. That was yeah. my dominant leg I kicked with in soccer. So yeah. it was something I always trusted, you know, and to be completely honest, dude, you know, um, to be completely honest, dude, you know, it was one of those things where it was just like, yeah. And when I came back, it was like, I had to fix these imbalances. Yeah. It's kind of the way I looked at it. Yeah. And like, at that moment, I didn't know nothing else. Again, like I've only been in this coaching role since 2010, mm. right? 2011. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing this going on 10 years now, maybe 11, but at that time period, I didn't know how to train myself. It was just kind of like go to the gym, throw weights around, do CrossFit, because that's what was the cool thing at yeah, that time, yeah. you know? And again, did it train me for the job? I, I didn't do it enough to kind of say yes or no. I, I did I did just, I trained with a couple of dudes who, you know, are phenomenal studs, like we're just awesome athletes. And, you know, I got to train with them. And so I just kind of followed around with them. And it, it was a very strength conditioning base. We did some CrossFit, like mm -hmm. we, I, I'd done Fran a little once or twice, like we've done stuff like that, but it was very strength conditioning based. It was like very like, just go around, make sure you're hitting the systems. And it was just like, but we didn't talk about it. It was just something that just kind of happened. Kind of intuitive, like it just felt like the sort of stuff you should be It doing. just felt right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so as we kind of continued moving, you know, through that deployment, I started seeing that I was able to go ahead and patrol and it was easier to patrol. It was mm. easier to get up from holding security positions. I noticed that I didn't have to do the rucks, the rucksack flop with the hundred pounds on my back or 80 pounds on my back or whatever four hours into a nighttime patrol since i've been and we've been patrolling since 9 a.m and it's already 1 a.m in the morning yeah right like i can control myself and still be a hard target and that's what i found that training that way allowed me to go ahead and have mm. and again in that moment i didn't know that no no of course any kind of retrospectively you can kind of connect those dots i guess 10 years, 11 years later now, I'm like, oh my God, like that's what I was doing. It's like, okay, cool. This has actually been used in real life environments where life and death actually matters where, yeah, 2010 employment was fucking gnarly. And if anybody wants to check it out, we talked about it, Black Diamonds Afghanistan, 2010. But it wasn't, and, and, and you know, when you ask like, hey, how do we make it back? It was because everyone took care of the guy to the left and right of them. And we kind of had that understanding, but you know, that's what carried on into this, into my like, next position and my next phase of my career was as an instructor was like, I need to get these guys ready for what I just experienced yeah. from the two deployments. How do I do that? And at that time, all I knew was CrossFit. Mm. Yeah. But I knew there was more because why I broke myself to performing CrossFit and trying to be a recon Marine at the same time. I was trying to compete at a high level in CrossFit and trying to still do the job when as an instructor, if those guys, if you know, instructor days, you know, you're fucking up every morning with the students, you're running PT, you're in the pool with them, you're doing ruck runs, you're out, you're literally going through the schoolhouse mm. again, every single day, yeah. just from a perspective. And like leading by example, like you're, you're kind of the rabbit out in front of everybody's Correct. trying to beat. Yeah. Correct. And even, and even to this day, everyone's like Sergeant Briones was the stud on the fucking instructor. <laughs> like, you know, I think there was, you know, and a funny story about that. I think I like when I was in my top shape and I, and again, I was using CrossFit. Yeah. 
but I had just started implementing endurance again. So this mm -hmm. is when I started realizing like, I need to start putting in more than just CrossFit. Sure. So I started throwing in endurance because I was started to train for the recon challenge. Yeah. So this was like around 2012. So I'd already been coaching for almost a year and a half now. And when I was like, I'm gonna do the recon challenge and I wrote all my own programming for mm -hmm. it. Okay. And it was like, all right, I need endurance built into this. I need this still in here. I need to figure out this manner where like, I've been working with this apex strength condition, strength and endurance concurrent training since 2011. I just, again, I'm just not that person who's been able to put it out on paper. And I think we are here now 10 years later, 11 years later, and we're seeing the results of not just those actions, but like other athletes who followed softly programming and the individual athletes who I've worked with in the past and currently, like it's just that idea where this is why we need to approach in this manner. And it comes back to transferability. Like yeah. at the end of the day, and I said this in two podcasts ago also, right? Like transferability is massive. Because mm. again, we can take this from a warfighter's perspective or from trying to compete at a high level in weightlifting, CrossFit, basketball, whatever it is, and, and take it to all the way down to scale it down to like a soccer mom. Yeah. Or, or just a normal everyday human being who has to like, you know, for my wife, has to pick up our daughter every morning or has to pick up off the floor. She needs to know how to go ahead and hinge properly, but she's not going to hinge properly every time she puts the baby up. So do I, should I have her doing deadlifts all the time? Yeah, maybe. Cause I need to build a, a foundational hinging pattern, but then I would start changing up with like a single arm kettlebell deadlift or a cross body, single arm dot body deadlift or a single leg deadlift yeah. RDLs. Why? Cause that has more transferability to her everyday Outcome, and I mm -hmm. want to say job. I'm not going to fucking disrespect women. That <laughs> yeah, way. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to put it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, but it's it's to, to go ahead and do your to have the ability to ha you know meet your demands of life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. again, some people's demands in life expect a little bit more than others. It doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's just we have to view it from that idea of like, how do I get better for my life? Yeah. How do I become better? Yeah. Yeah. So. Again, going back to this process-oriented training to goal-oriented training, there's a specific reason why we do see Softly's programming work so well, and it's because we can sit here and not look at it from a process-oriented training system because we're not. We're a goal-oriented training system, meaning that we look at our training approach as the at the highest level of transferability on that tactical transferability skill that we were putting together mm -hmm. to go ahead and give them the, the, the highest outcome and success for that novel task. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So again, just to just kind of set the scene, if if some of you guys maybe haven't uh, haven't kind of dealt with this sort of stuff too much. Um, so if we are talking about process orientated training, essentially we're we're thinking um, very much about what the movement pattern looks like. So if we take the um, let's let's run with this hinge example that, that George was talking about as well. So if we if we take a process orientated approach to training. We're very focused on how you, or again, how George's wife performs a deadlift versus what the technical model for the deadlift looks like. So we might kind of dive into maybe the world of, of powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting. What do, what do the guys at the top look like when they are performing a deadlift? Cool. Now we know that, we just need to make sure that George's wife looks like that when she, when she performs a deadlift. So that's, that's kind of this process-orientated approach to training. Now that's that is inevitably very good at certain things. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to make us strong. We know that we've seen kind of ridiculous numbers being pulled over the last five, 10 years. So much evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that will 100% get us strong, which is, is, if that's the goal, that's awesome. 
However, like, like George was saying, when it comes to picking up the little one or picking up shopping or just doing kind of general day-to-day stuff, it becomes a little bit of an issue when all of a sudden the thing she's picking up isn't a powerlifting regulation bar that's, I don't know, the inches, 22 and a half centimeters, I think we... I think so, Something yeah. like that, yeah, something I don't like know that. what the inches is. But, but when we're picking up a bar, sorry, when we're picking up an object that isn't exactly the same as, as uh, what she's doing in the training environment, there's a bit of a mismatch. There's a bit of a, a kind of gap between those two. And that gap can sometimes be problematic, particularly when we look into things like the tactical world, where things happen much quicker and, and kind of the, um, I guess, the potential effects or the potential risks are a little bit greater. Um, so we'll kind of use the example of, of picking up a child in, in kind of a front room. That's going to be fairly low stress. Like if, if you don't maintain perfect mechanics, probably you're going to get away with it and everybody will be fine and, and that's all good. Yep. But if you're thinking about maybe uh, under fire on uneven terrain at night, picking up, uh, sorry, bending down to, to drag a, like a, an injured buddy, an injured comrade, then actually if you, if you kind of misstep or if you trip or if you're in, in like a, a shitty position, that's when stuff does potentially go wrong and, and kind of the risk does start stacking up, which is where we, we, we try and look at, at this, right, as George was saying, this goal-orientated approach to training. So this is something that needs to be built on top of the, the kind of the, the, the foundation of process-orientated training. So again, George's wife needs to, know, needs to know how to hinge effectively. But now what we start to, to kind of dial into is this idea of, okay, now rather than it looking exactly the same every rep, let's try and add some variability into it. So for instance, that might be, let's try and change the height that she's pulling from. Maybe instead of a barbell, like George was saying, we use a dumbbell or, or perhaps a sandbag or something that's like a, a live load. Now, when she comes to hinge, she knows that it doesn't matter what kind of the, the output, what the task is, as long as she, she obeys the same rules that she would have done from the, power, from the, the kind of the powerlifting model, i.e. she keeps her back flat, she keeps weight distribution even in her feet. She's able to transfer that to, to real world and all of a sudden now there isn't yep. that, that disconnect so sorry that was a very long-winded yeah. kind of <laughs> um, no, bridge of what, uh, i mean what it is we're it's about. it's good we go we we enjoy doing that right <laughs> um so like that's the idea behind that is again when i go ahead and look at this transferability scale right or the tactical transferability scale you're going to have n- the highest transferability on the other end of of that novel task at the high end at the low end, you're going to have the same, you're going to have, again, novel task, but you're going to go ahead and look at it from a exercise selection perspective. Sure. Right? So, you know, again, when we go ahead and look at a process-oriented training system, it's going to probably be on the very far, on the low end of transferability into a novel task for the tactical professional or whatever, whoever's, whatever the sport is, however yeah. you want to look yeah. at it. So then as time, again, as we talked about it, I lived in this very huge SPP world right this specific or this s or ssp with a sports specific phase which was my job right i really didn't start to like build that foundation until i actually got back to being an instructor because i realized i had to do x y and z once i got through that started training for the recon challenge realized that i need to increase my endurance my strengths through the roof i need to get my endurance up we saw a little bit of a change but what also increased the the strength numbers increased as well my capacity to go ahead and do functional fitness sessions increased. Um, but what I was missing in that moment, dude, and what was really huge was the idea of movement, 
So I didn't really care about how I moved in that moment. I think this was going into like 2013, mm. right after the recon challenge. I or yeah, and the recon challenge completed. I ended up getting hurt for a qualifying for a higher level comp- competition for CrossFit, and I ended up blowing out like my knee. I had some really bad problems with my knee, and 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 from there, like I was like, uh oh, like I reached this peak performance, but I did it by utilizing my youth, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like when we go and look in 2013, I was what, 25, I think maybe mm. was I'm 32. Yeah. 25, 26. I'd read, had still you know, through gone through. Boot camp. <laughs> yeah. Right. Gone through boot camp, did all those things, gone through selection deployments, you know, now instructor redoing that now trying to do all these other things. And I found that cap and it was like, oh, this is why I broke was because I wasn't moving correctly. And it allowed for me to go ahead and put me into a position where, you know, I had to go ahead and step back from this idea of SSP, mm. right? To where it's like, oh, I need to go ahead and look at this from a general, uh, general physical preparedness yeah, approach. Yeah. yeah. Because again, it was like, oh, my movement's shit. I'm like a high sympathetic state. I'm not doing all these things. And luckily, like as I started to move and became a weightlifter, like becoming a weight, like, and when I say becoming a weightlifter, I got to do weightlifting. Um, and it was a fun part of my time. Like, but what it taught me to do was slow down and learn how to move better. Yeah. Because now I'm no longer moving repetitions at high intensities for time. I'm now moving the opposite. I'm moving fucking a heavy barbell once uh, six times in a weightlifting meet. Yeah. So I have to train completely different, but it's only six six lifts, meaning that I must be able to execute the skill of that movement at its highest threshold Mm. as perfect as possible to make the lift. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of gave me this other perspective where it was like, no, movement is huge. Right. And then, you know, as I continued progressing on in my career, it was like, oh, let me go ahead and get into ultra endurance because I just want to get a, I want to do something completely different. That's just who I am. I, it was a time in my life where I wanted to start chasing longer distances. Cool. Mm-hmm. But I also realized how much strength I needed for that too to do so. And that was watching me go from this weightlifter to across to like a functional fitness athlete to this endurance athlete within a year. Yeah. That's a pretty impressive transition. Correct. And and I I take full value and and like, yeah, it was fucking cool. I had some really good coaches that helped me kind of understand and learn this and, you know, to kind of create my own methodology and ideas from it. And that's kind of what happened, right? Um, And and luckily, like the only real injury I got out of ultra running was a sprained ankle. It was a really bad ankle in in a 100-mile race, like 50 miles in. And um, that was cute. Like you just kind of rolled like – It just – yeah, it just rolled. And what happened was I actually cramped up and my ankle, my leg locked up and it rolled. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was that was due to, again, something we're trying to talk about in this in this in the, the CWS system or the conscious awareness system is how does um, temperature affect us? The environment's temperature affect us. Mm-hmm. And this is again, we can go another down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. just didn't have enough. My training for that race was it was a shitty weather period for California where it just rained all the time. And then all of a sudden the day of this race, it's fucking 80 degrees out when it's been 60 degrees out. And you know, I hadn't trained to like uphold how much salt and magnesium and potassium I needed in that. It was like, fuck by the time I got a hold of that, I was able to, yeah, that was the only real injury that I saw with, with ultra running mm. when I started upping my miles and some tightness in the knees, it band stuff. But I think that just comes with wear and tear as you increase. And I get, I understand some people are gonna be like, there's no fucking way that happens. I truly believe when you're progressing in these higher miles, you're gonna have some knee problems. You're gonna have a little bit, 
But that that there is just showing you the capacity in which your movement's allowing you to get to. So what you need to do is not stop, regress a little bit and focus on the smaller aspects, right? Like how do I strengthen the glute, adductors, calves, feet? You know, oh, your your shins might be tight. Oh, we need to fix those, right? You're, you're starting. So it just gives you an indication of like what we're not doing enough to go ahead and allow you to continue progressing is what I found in that moment. Yeah, and, and we can kind of like we can cover or pick up, I guess, a few little topics from, from that. So we can, I think that emphasizes the importance of, of having like a GPP, like a general physical preparation phase, where rather than doing to get better at, at running endurance, just running endurance, we, we kind of want to look at the bigger picture. And, and that kind of goes into, again, some of the stuff we cover with, with Conscious Warrior, with this idea of how can we systematically find what our limiting factors are. Correct. And almost running like a gap analysis. So either between this is where I'm at at the moment, this is where I want to be in six months, or this is where I'm at at the moment, this is where the normative data, the best in the world, whoever it is you're comparing to, this is where they are for that, whatever that capacity is. And I think the more you can, the more you can kind of preempt and figure that stuff out early and then kind of train for it, the less yep. you get to that point where in, in endurance training or endurance training where you're doing as much as you can getting broken, having to take two weeks off, doing as much as you can getting broken, having to take two weeks off. Because you kind of then, if you can preempt it, you can stay ahead of the curve and you can so you're Correct. saying about like kind of glute and hip extension, for instance, if you know that that's a limiting factor. That's something you can kind of prep and develop in the gym, in the weight room, or kind of on the track if you wanted to. Correct. So it then you get that stronger or you get that more efficient before it becomes a problem and your knees start hurting or your, your ankles start hurting. Um, and and that's the thing though, right? Is and, but the thing is though is like you're especially when you're pushing those kinds of things, right? For example, like when I say a thing like an endurance race, and I'm, I'm going to preface this with, you know. Take an individual who is who is training for a tactical competition like Ranger Challenge or Best Ranger Challenge, Recon Challenge, any kind of ex- event like that where they're expected to move over 30 miles or expected over to move over 20 miles with the load on their back. When you're pushing at that limit and you're doing that, you are going to see some breakdowns in efficiency. Mm. Why? Because, you, it, but that is completely normal. Yeah, we're on the fringes like of that, what human physiology is capable of. Performance doing. is, yeah. right? Like yeah. we're like, and we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're getting there and it's like, oh, I burned my hand a little bit. Okay, so it's showing me something. Let's fix this up, recover, boom, boom, boom. And then let's push back into it a little bit more. Because by doing that, it allowed for us to kind of let that stress levels and the body kind of recover, which regenerated us to go ahead and give us a little bit more room for that capacity. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is they'll go ahead and get that injury, or let's say they have start having tight shins, right? Which most of the time, if you start having tight shins, it is a sign of shin splints, no doubt. Cool, how do I mitigate that? Well, I need to start working on my shins more, right? But it's a time when people stop not being sensitive enough to understanding what their body's going through to where now it's like, oh, now I have a swollen leg and my shin is probably fucking on the front of maybe a shin of a stress fracture. Yeah. Or possibly could be one. Yeah. Now I'm fucked and I got to go and fix it and see what happens. And and now because you decided to push so hard on it, you've just fucked yourself. When, hey, if you would have just taken care of that little tiny tightness in the shin probably six weeks to eight weeks, maybe to fucking five months ago. Yeah. Right? You probably wouldn't be where you're at in six months. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's like... It, and, and again, it's like not only is it the coach's job to go ahead and understand and see what the limiting factor is, but it's also 
your job as an athlete to check in with that. And I think that's kind of like what this process over time for myself has become is like learning to just become more checked in with myself and more sensitive to like when those things happen because it makes me, all right, it's like, no, I want to complete this kind of race. Mm -hmm. And it goes into the game. Like my, I'm not going from this from a process-oriented training system, going from this from a goal-oriented training system for myself. Yeah. Um, and again, I think a lot of it comes from just a psychological perspective of, you know, understanding sports psychology in such, you know, this past four years. But before that, it was always something that was in the back of my head. I was always fascinated with. And I think I read books, you know, like the mindset from uh, Carl, uh, Carol, Carol uh, S. Dweck, okay. right? Like the only way to win was a big book that I read before, like the, all these other big time mindset books that came out. Um, the conscious coaching from Coach Brent, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was just always something I always thought. And I try to always apply those things to my training systems because mm -hmm. I was like, there has to be some other way to do this than always having to be broken. Because again, <laughs> from 2010 to 2015, you can ask a lot of tactical athletes. There was a lot of programs out there that were just breaking dudes. Mm -hmm. If they weren't able to handle the load, they were breaking either at selection or prior to going to selection. Yeah. And the goal was like, okay, how do we approach this? And it's like, no, I must peak at selection. I don't peak prior and I don't go in over peak, meaning that's why I got injured at selection. So it's like, you know, when we look at this progression, it's like, no, how do we go ahead and understand training the tactical professional or the everyday athlete? It's like, no, there's a reason why strength conditioning has been here for a reason. I think we've just got so far away from the understanding the transferability effect of what we can get from fitness and wellness and strength conditioning to help us go ahead and, and live a, a better life, right? And that's kind of the idea here is like, it's really cool to see us putting this together and then I'm also putting together, you know, the whole idea of like goal perspective theory from the psychological standpoint, because again, you know, when we talk about goal perspective theory, a lot of people assume that it's about goal setting when realistically it's Yeah, not. I can say, do you want to just unpack that section? Do you want to just kind of give the guys a quick overview of the, so what it, what it means yeah. and where it fits in? Super easy. And, and it's not, you know, it's something that we've... We've always done, I think, you know, as coaches, I think we've always assessed who, like what type of athlete that they're working with. And if you haven't, like that may be something you should start doing, <laughs> um, give you a better insight. But that's the idea behind goal perspective theory is understanding how the athlete thinks, reacts, responds, and ultimately motivates themselves to go ahead and accomplish whatever goal they're setting out. But again, coming from this conscious warrior system that we've been talking about that we're trying to, we're putting together here with Softly, is all of those things are all interconnected, right? They all need to be interconnected, meaning that we need to understand what type of goal orientation the individual is, what type of goal involvement, right? And then motivational climate. And, and, and you're probably like, well, what are all those three? You know, goal orientation is simple. It's just the type of orientation that you utilize to go ahead and, and accomplish a goal, meaning are you more of a task-oriented, mastery-oriented, meaning that you do this for mastery and self-improvement? Cool, because if that's who you are, that's what motivates you to do something. But then you have those who look at it from a ego perspective, right? Which I'm here to do this because I want to beat the guy to the left to the right of me. Or the opposite, they're utilizing their ego as a way to motivate themselves through social approval or social evaluation. So like they don't want to be the shittiest person on the team. Correct. Kind of yeah. Right. They don't want to be seen that way. And the same thing with the task oriented. They just and, and we can go ahead and break that down real quick. You know, there's and underneath those two subsets, there's also another two subsets of, again, from approach and, and um, approach and avoidance, 
meaning that no matter what orientation you are, you're going to either approach it from this idea or you're doing it because you're trying to avoid something. Sure. Right. So if take the task oriented athlete, they're doing, they're utilizing the avoidance aspect because they don't want to look incompetent in front of somebody right? Yeah. or their teammate. The other one, the task approach is ultimately just, I want to master this because it's all in my desire to do so from an internal perspective. There's no ego tied to it. There's nothing. It's just, I want to master this skill mm -hmm. and that's great. But then on the other side of that, again, when you go ahead and look from the task, you go and look at the ego aspect. The ego aspect also has an approach and avoidance, which at the end of the day, it's the same idea, right? <laughs> when we look at ego approach or performance approach, it means that they're performing this way and they're utilizing the realistic idea that they just want to go ahead and beat someone and that's all that matters. Yeah. And that's the approach they're using. Mm. But then when we go and look at the avoidance aspects, it's the idea of not being, um, not being about the back, you know, or, how to correct, right? Yeah, not the being, they don't want to look like that's exactly yeah. what it is. So they use that way to motivate. And again, are those ways of thinking and whatever else incorrect? I don't, I'm not gonna say if they're correct or not, but it's our job to teach the individual as a performance coach or as a strength conditioning coach or whatever you see yourself when you're working with athletes as an individual to go ahead and help provide direction and on how to leverage that to reach peak performance, mm. right? And that's the goal involvement, yeah, ultimately. Yeah. So, so right? if you were, oh, sorry, you go. You'll go you're right, I was just gonna, uh, let, me, let me back up a sec. So what, what George has just kind of explained, he's he's working on at the moment a uh, like a, a really nice sort of infographic that, that displays this really easily. So if it, if it kind of, if you kind of got lost in a little bit of that, then we'll, we'll kind of make sure that probably by the time this comes out, that, that yeah, something like that infographic will be will be out there surely, and that, and that makes it, that makes it super easy to follow. But sorry, my my kind of question with that is like, so yeah, I completely can see and and kind of get it. If you're if you're a coach looking after say a group of athletes, like sporting or tactical, you have to be able to have like an idea of well, this person's motivated by this, or this person's motivated by that. So because of that, I need to structure the, the training session accordingly. Yeah, my, sorry, my hands are all over the place, kind of trying to. No, cool. Try I love it. No, no, it's like it's building. I, that was me building. It's literally building. Yeah, it's yeah. literally using every understanding each athlete and how they tick. Yeah, what, what can optimize them, I guess. Correct. And then learning how to go ahead and integrate and structure that to allow for them to go ahead and reach peak performance as a team. Mm. We go ahead and, like, for instance, Doc Rivers. Everyone knows who Doc Rivers is, right? Do you know who Doc Rivers no, is? No, I don't think so. He's Everyone a big time me. basketball big time basketball coach. Okay. He's been in the game for a long time. He used to be a Boston Celtics coach. Now he's part of uh, the LA Clippers. Oh, cool. And, and you go ahead and look at it and you hear him talk about it. He's like, you know, yeah, I got leaders on the team, but it wasn't about the fact of them. I had to teach them to understand what we meant, meaning that they're not like, they're not taking the shot for them. Sure. Like if I got to do something, it's for the best of the team. It might hurt me and it might hurt you, but this is for what's best for the team, mm. right? Understanding that, creating and going this is going into now the next portion of that what is motivational climate yeah like kind of linked in with the, the culture and stuff of the like how correct, often do we see right? that in, so, the, in the tactical world and that's that that's the big thing so we've talked about what goal orientation is we understand that from a task and ego perspective right and then we have goal involvement where we look at that from a mastery or performance which breaks down into approach or avoidance Again, it's not wrong. It's it, it can be, but again, understanding these things, which allows for us then when we move into motivational climate, 
This goes back to the Doc Rivers story where it ended up becoming, hey, you need to understand and change the way you think and take what drives you to be the best for the team. And it's going to make the best for you. And it goes back again to the whole left and right, at, uh, the left and right side of the guys. Like right? it's always up to the, I take care of the guy to the left and right of me. They're going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea here within that is that you have to be willing to go ahead and take a competitive climate where, you know, most athletes come up in this rate in, in this, in this, in this world where they are punished for poor performance, right? The environment's super competitive. Um, the risk of injury is increased, right? We've seen that, right? All the best players get what? Get the attention. Like that's shitty, yeah. right? Ultimately. Yeah. And then you have a mastery climate where it goes ahead and focuses on the climate of that of that team or environment or wherever you're at, focuses on self-improvement and always getting better at the task, mm, yeah. right? To where you are reinforced positive reinforce, or where it's like you're, you're there is re- positive reinforcement. There is, you know, rewards for doing good as a team. There's kinds of those things. Now, I th- believe a coach at such stature like Doc Rivers needs to go ahead and integrate both of them. Okay. But getting rid of the punishment for poor performance, putting their perspective in terms of only the best players get my attention, right? Those kinds of things. I think it needs to be the opposite. And I don't know what we call it. Like we call it a mastery climate or mastery competitive climate. When we talked about this the other day where it was like, no, there needs to be positive reinforcement. There needs to be competition within the environment because that's what breeds excellence. But there needs to be boundaries within that, Mm -hmm. right? Every athlete should get attention. And realistically, if that top athlete's that fucking good, then they don't need that much attention. Yeah, yeah. If they're at that level, Maybe they they're actually doing like, peer on <laughs> peer on peer yeah, yeah. teaching, right? Because then what does that do for the coach? It frees up energy to not to be spend so much time on them and they can observe and see how everyone is leveraging each other's yeah, yeah. goal perspective, right? Mm. And then from there, he can then leverage it for himself to make the team better. Yeah. And that's ultimately right? what we want so, is that empowerment where actually the coach, sorry, this is kind of looking probably with a bit more of a tactical well, lens, but Ultimately, we, we want the, the, the guys and girls like in that in that team to operate as a unit without needing the coach like or the facilitator or whatever to provide input. So exactly like you're saying, if you've got if you've got someone who's real good on the range, for instance, or real good at, at, at maybe like the the BJJ kind of like um, like uh, like rolling and things like that, having have like putting them into a position where they can start mentoring and, and kind of encouraging, giving giving kind of advice and tips for, for the guys who are just starting out or who are maybe struggling. It can be a really powerful way of like acknowledging that that person's really good and saying, yeah, I, I recognize as a, as a coach that you're very good at this, but you're not singling them out and, in terms of like putting them on a Correct. pedestal and, and kind of letting, letting them do whatever they want. You're kind of almost recycling their energy into 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 kind of helping the team, which again I guess creates your your whole idea of culture first or, or kind of team first rather than team first, yeah. right? Yeah. And and again it goes into the same thing, you know, into a tactical team, you know, a tactical professional team. Mm. You know, you know, we what what did uh Carlos Ruiz name it? He named it a oh man, I forgot the name that he named it, but it was like uh it was like a high level tactical I forgot. I'm, my mind went blank. Yeah. Damn it. Um, 
I'll come back to it or I'll, I'll share it later on. But the way he approached a lot of like his team building and his leadership aspect was from a very um, combat patrol perspective. Okay. Right. And like everybody needs to know everybody else's job so that they understand that if they do a certain thing, how is it going to go ahead and affect the person to the left and right? Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. And and oh, that's, that's massive. That's got a term, hasn't it? Um, I does have a term, and I'm uh, so, so upset that I like lessons I've kind of sat through. What is that called? <laughs> um, like mission, but like yeah, mission dude, control, mission critical team. Yeah, mission critical teams. <laughs> Is, is kind of what he labeled, you know, these high-thinking, high-performing individuals that work together. They're mission-critical themes. And the way he explained it, and it's fucking fascinating, was that, you know, most individuals in the tactical community are very robot, uh, robotic, right? They're very, hey, they get taught a skill set, and all they know how to do is react. And what these mission-critical teams are are, are doing and this is how he labeled tactical professionals like soft units and high corporation level thinkers is that they're taking them from being these like robotic individual or robotic thinkers and turning them into responsive thinkers right to where it's like hey i'm not only learning this skill which goes back again to this training approach tactile transferability and novel task thing and it's crazy how that's kind of the two mesh together but we're taking it from that and putting it into the strength conditioning world is again Looking at it from the ideas like, oh, I can go ahead and perform X, Y, and Z, and it's just a reactive, right? So it's like, hey, I know how to go ahead and put a magazine into my into my magazine well. I can do that all day. But it's like, how do I do that now being shot at? My magazine doesn't fit, and how do I go ahead and make quick time decisions to go ahead and go through my procedures to get my weapon back up into the fight mm. while I'm being shot at? Because I've done it now. Plenty of times where just mag change, mag change, mag change in a very low stress environment. But over time, what happens, that just turns into this reactive behavior. Um, and it doesn't allow for you to have a responsive behavior, meaning that you now like can slow down, own the clock like we talked about, figure out where we're going and be like, oh, shit, I need to go ahead and work through this process. Yeah. Real quick. And I, Boom. I think I mean, like, I think in, in some areas, like having that, having that kind of reactive sort of process, i.e. If a if situation A happens, I will do response B. So some some situations that's really important that is ingrained. So like yeah, things like like mag changes, stoppage drills, like you were you were talking about um, maybe last time I think where we were we were discussing uh, like cutting away in a in a shoot, like cutting away the first shoot. Um, things that are like they require very quick uh, sort of responses, very quick reactions, yep. but there's not like a ton of, of kind of different avenues to go down, if that makes sense. Like, like so for instance, in the, in the uh, parachute drill, there is only one correct response. Like you look up, you don't see the shoot, then it sets off this chain. But like where, where I think there's a real place for like the, the kind of uh, responding rather than reacting is things like, um, and, and I, guess, I guess it's kind of like in the media at the moment, there's things like kind of reading and perceiving threat so rather than yep. just seeing what you think is a weapon and engaging, like having that having that kind of space to like look at the kind of the surrounding environment and kind of pick up on, on any sort of uh, on any cues that might give you more information as to as to what's happening, so you can make like a better informed decision. So like that's the idea, right? And it's kind of like crossing that threshold, right? Once you've like when we talk about the gas model, right? Like once you get into resistance phase, like there's no backing out of that. If you try and back out of it, you're fucked. 
Yeah. It's the same thing with someone who, you know, for example, jumping out of an airplane with a hundred pound fucking ruck on under night vision goggles, and you have to still go through all your procedures and you can barely see the fucking DZ, right? Like once you cross that threshold, there's no turning back, but only going through the high risk procedures that are going to keep you alive. Mm. So the reactive for that is jumping out of the airplane. The responsive for that is now being able to go through that. But then there's also a reactive to when the shoot's supposed to open up, then there's a response from that. And again, that's the idea is like, hey, is it, it's not just about reacting, it's also about how to respond from that. So it's like our follow through, right? We'll go ahead and use the same individual who has to jump over a canal three to four feet with 40 pound ruck and full combat load, side sappies, helmet, everything else under night vision goggles. It's not about how that foot lands. They understand how to react to that jump. It's about the follow through and the response of what he does after that. Sure. Right. So it's like, is he so fixated when his leg hits the ground that he has to look where he steps or did he already approach that approach, approach that and know where he's landing to where he can walk on from that to get his eyes back onto security where he needs to. Mm, Yeah. Right. And like that right there is that critical thinking where it's like, no, that's being responsive, meaning that, oh, I'm looking ahead already. And I think. I forgot what it is. It's like 300 seconds. You know, you've already thought about something in your next like reactive moment within 300 seconds or something like that. Don't quote me on it. Um, But that's the idea, right? So if I'm like, for example, like we had to do that quite a bit of times. I think that's the reason why I put that because it resonated with me, you know, with your gun, full ruck on everything else, you know, combat load helmet, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning and you have to hold, like you have a danger area crossing over this canal and you literally have to start like a little tiny run, hump, jump over that motherfucker. And it's like, you have to be willing, knowing like, hey, what's on the other side already? And, and potentially you use your buddies that have already crossed over to know like, hey, it's smooth, land here, so you can keep following through. So now your buddies who have gone before you have now lowered their injury risk, right? Now it's on you how to land. They're like, hey, we adjusted the, the environment a little bit when we go back to the dynamic systems theories. Like, hey, yeah. we kind of gave this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Cool, now you just help increase the potential for him to continue moving forward, get into the patrol, which now, again, you're able to now have the cognitive load to go ahead and focus on what? Your security to the left and right of you once I hit the ground instead of having to be worried about like rolling my ankle or hey, is my body gonna be able to handle landing with this rock on my back when I jump over? Yeah. Um, those things go away. So I think that's a lot of what it comes down to is when we go ahead and look at you know process-oriented training and goal-oriented training, all we're really doing from a psychological perspective is really trying to develop and increase the capacity in which the, the amount of load cognitively you can handle. Mm. Yeah. And still perform a movement under 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 high stress and still have it be a low stress, a low a low injury risk for you. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think you're right. Kind of almost almost creating, yeah, more more variability, I guess. Being able to buffer more variability. But like with, so with, with the guys uh, kind of potentially listening to this and, and thinking about like, so what does this mean for, for my sort of training? Have you, have you got any, perhaps from the, from the psychology perspective first around goal setting and things like that? Have you, have you got any like, have you got any tips or tricks where people can figure out like, or maybe help hone in what it is that motivates them and how to yeah. leverage that? It's it's kind of funny you ask that too because it kind of goes down to an ex cliche as this says because I love how you say that too. He's like, oh, this is <laughs> we pick on each other, but it, everyone's gonna be laughing. But the smart approach, yeah, the smart model, like as much as 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 like like mainstream or however you want to look at it is like you can take that and utilize it in any way you want. Again, leveraging it and responding with your own goals to do so, right? 
So like, yeah, be specific about whatever goal it is you want. Like you can totally do that. Can you have multiple different goals under the smart system? Sure, mm-hmm. go for it. Just rank them in priority of which one do you wanna to get to the quickest or which is measurable in terms of what? How do I measure that I'm making progress with this? Well, no one's telling you how to measure that. You can measure that yourself in any way possible. Again, understanding how you tick, right? Creating that sensitivity to yourself. We know that what? Attainable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So we like understand that the goals that you're trying to make isn't it needs to be attainable, but not to everyone around you, to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's what matters most, right? And again, going back to the Doc Rivers story, I think, you know, in the documentary I watched the other day, you know, his his teacher asked him, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what's a goal? And he walked up and said, I want to be a professional basketball player. She erased it and said, No, go back, think of something else. Went back up again. What do you want to be? He literally wrote, I want to be a professional basketball player. The teacher sends him to the office, expels him for disobedience, or suspends him for a day or two for disobedience. This was back in those yeah, days, yeah. you know? The dad was like, hey, kid, like, don't do whatever else. But at the same time, like, his dad was just trying to meet the teacher just so he can get through school because he was trying to avoid conflict at the mm. same time. Yeah. Which later on, if like, later on, I started understanding, like, why they did that because it was teaching the don't be a victim mentality, a lot of it, in a very positive okay. way. He goes back to school. The teacher asks him again, hey, you know, Glenn, what do you want to be? I want to be a professional basketball player. The dad looks at the teacher, smiles and laughs and walks out. And the teacher yeah. makes him go sit down. He became a basketball player. Yeah, yeah. But in his head, that was attainable. Yeah, and I, maybe maybe as well, it's kind of having, like like you talked about before, having maybe um, different different layers of goal. So maybe like, again, in, in our community, wanting to um, – pass buttons or wanting to kind of win best range. I think things like that can can absolutely be at the like the pinnacle that can be your your kind of your main focus if, if that's what you want it to be. But we need to kind of I'm sorry if I'm jumping on your toes with kind of things you're going to talk no, about. No, you're good, man. No, in no, a second. But we need to kind of almost have like a roadmap roadmap back from there. Because if you're if you're starting basic training in six weeks time, wanting to pass buds or wanting to win best ranger is a long way off that's like a, a massive a massive jump so we kind of we were talking about this the other day like like in terms of how how do you eat an elephant what we need to do is is figure out well okay if, if that's like our ultimate destination that's where we want to get to what's what's step one what's kind of what did, what does that look like uh and kind of working like sorry just contradict myself it's probably good, easier it's probably easier kind of working back from okay well if if i want to if I want to win yep. best ranger, then I need to be in a position where I can qualify and I need to, and again, I'm, I'm kind of way out of my, my knowledge zone here, but, but do, do you know what I mean? You need to be able to work back in terms it's, of setting milestones so that you can then have, correct. or step one is tomorrow morning, I've got to get out and run or I've got to get up and train. And then you can like, you can start achieving, like you can start kind of taking bites out of an elephant today rather than, oh, well, I can't really achieve my goal for another four years, so I'm not going to think about it. It, it kind of starts that, that process. Well, and it goes into, you know, in the, in the military, you know, we had pre-mission planning, you know, and that pre-mission planning allowed for us to go ahead and get a lot of these things down in terms of, you know, back planning. And, and one thing inside there was you have to back plan, yeah. right? Especially when it comes to before going on a mission. And there's a thing called a warning order. And that warning order has all of those timelines that you must meet to allow for yourself to go ahead and meet insert not to be successful in the mission but to just meet insert 
time, mm -hmm. like, you know, estimated time of insert, like the insert period, which it's the same thing here, right? I kind of look at it from this yeah, perspective yeah, great, when I yeah, look at a goal. Comparison. And like, again, that's something that, again, I'm working on the outside of like, how do I take military skill sets as we have and help transfer them into this everyday life for honestly, the transitioning veteran to go ahead and still understand how to take a skill set that they learned in combat or whatever else, as it was meant to be an instinct for survival in that period or in that environment to where now it's just an instinct of, it's it's not an instinct they can utilize here, so it's bottled up. Yeah. So it's like, if we can go ahead and create that, that's one of those things where it's like, hey, we've all written warning orders. We all know what that looks like. We know that like we must meet timelines. Why not do that for a goal? Again, it doesn't need to be done within 24 hours. It could be fucking six months. You can put a, a warning order, you know, and have something on it that says three in three months or in January or let's June 8th, I need to be here. Yeah. Cool. But at the same time, though, it's like that is something that's reliable, right? You gave yourself that. It's attainable. It's measurable and specific. And it has and it's a very timely fucking timeline mm. for you. And I think I can blend those two words together. I think that flowed. Um, but <laughs> it's very, it's very timely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's softly's podcast. We're just we're just able to do it. Um, it's a very timely pot. It's a very timely, you know, approach to this goal. So it's kind of the same thing here when I look at a warning order and how we pre-mission prep and how we get things ready. Like, oh, the terrain model needs to be ready by this time. We're going to be briefing the terrain model in two hours. Hey, the route needs to be done within this time. Hey, the comm plans and all these things need to be taken care of. Dry rehearsals go during this time. All right, cool. Hey, it's all of that. Those all need to be laid out for people who are looking to do that. And again, coming from an athlete perspective, when I put my shoe, myself, myself in shoes as an athlete, because I, I still am, I, I believe that, just for life. I have to look at it from that same perspective. And, and again, it's called structure. Right. There's times where you don't need structure and you need to just go ahead and go play. And again, going back to the whole Doc Rivers fucking documentary, I think it was great because and I, I thought about our conversation with the dynamic systems theory is like he's like, I never used the word practice. I never talked about going to practice basketball. He's like, I used to always I'm going to go play basketball. Yeah. I mean, that's all because cool, it was a sport man. he loved. To, it was something he loved doing. He's like, I didn't practice. I played. Mm. So it's the same thing. And I thought about it's like yesterday, like. I went to go snatch and clean and jerk. I played weight. I played with weight. I played in, I played with the uh, movements of weightlifting yeah. or I played with snatch and the clean and jerk. Mm. Cool. I get to go play for an hour today. Like instead of like our time period as kids was out running around the fucking playground, jumping through all those things. We are now utilizing the gym as that playground. Yeah. Like when you were and crushing we the jungle gym on, was that Sunday? Saturday, Sunday when you Sunday, were yeah. Sunday <laughs> or Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Like my training session Saturday was an hour at the jungle gym at Playtopia with my kids and I had a fucking blast. You know, it's like you want to go and, and see how well you can move and how well fit you are. Go run through that with the, with your kids and let me know how that goes. Um, you know, it obviously worked because my HRV the next day was through the roof yeah, yeah. and I recovered fine and everything else. So, um, but yeah, man, I, I think, you know, when it comes down to just looking at it from a go-oriented training system and a go-oriented mindset or however you want to fucking think yeah. about it um yeah you need a mixture of all of them mm. you need a mixture of performance you need a mixture of of mastery you need a mixture of ego and you need a mystery of uh, or a mixture of task and you also need a mastery and competitive climate too but again understanding that all of those things integrated together um need to work for you and fit within your within your your world mm. right yeah. and not have it what's what's the not have it be detrimental and create more stress than it should yeah right because sure. ultimately the goal is just being able to handle higher levels of cognitive load when you need it 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, realistically, regardless of which kind of sub-profession of the tactical world you look at, so law enforcement or fire or, or military or whatever, the, the future ultimately has to be, certainly if we carry on with the same trajectory, has to be more and more about like how well you can manage cognitive load. It's less about how much weight you can put on your back and how fast you can get into an area. And it's going to be more about like how can you utilize loads of different streams of like inf- data and information input, be it from screens, from like over the yeah. radio things. How well can you utilize that to to do to kind of do the mission? Um, so, so we have to start thinking about that as a like as a human performance company. It it doesn't make sense to like discount that and just think, well, actually, fuck it, we we just want to do pull ups and and, uh, and burpees. It, it has to be like more we have to be having that next step just just like you said when you when you went on on tour that first time there was like a, a two or three week lag period where you almost had to like get up to op tempo we almost can't afford to do that now we have to like we have to be having these conversations now so the next wave of guys next generation of guys and girls coming through can like hit the ground running they're, they're kind of they're not having to have 100%. a lag and relearn we're, we're kind of delivering it Correct. And that's, and that's ultimately it. Right. And that was, um, and that's, 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 I mean, honestly, man, I don't have much to say to that. That's fucking spot on. Like, <laughs> like I'm just trying to process it just because of the fact like, yeah, you're right. Like ultimately to enhance fucking the war fighter, it doesn't just come from a sports specific preparation. And we understand how sports specific the military can get. I lived it for fucking eight years. I was in it like crazy. What we need to do is look at it from a general physical preparedness perspective that allows for us to transfer again from this tactical transferability skill. On the low end, you have GPP. You have things like back squats, deadlift, snatch. You know things that are going to go ahead and make them stronger and build. Oh yeah, that's super important. We, yeah, definitely. Like, and that's what I'm trying to, and that's what I want to mm. make sure that everyone understands. We're not saying not to like train that way. Like, I get it. It's fucking fun. I enjoy snatching heavy, clean and jerks and snatches. I enjoy lifting up some heavy shit and putting it over my. Like, I get that, but I also understand and respect that by me doing this, it 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 gives me some gas, but it's not the best gas that I need. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. But I understand is and again, it's like it's it's me being able to recognize that. And I think that's what we're trying to do here is like, hey, as you get closer to that performing that novel task of having to patrol, you know, at nighttime with MVGs under heavy load and having to make big jumps and explosive stuff that your training needs to mimic that when it does get close enough to that. But then you also have to go ahead again, because realistically, you're doing that throughout your time period already. Right. So you just need that balance to think about it. Right. If I think about it, look about it, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like guys are also out patrolling for a week at a time. They're doing all these things. Oh, they need a, they need GPP to balance them out. Yeah. They don't need more sports specific. You got it. And yeah. I think that's, that's it. And I think my rant up to that point is that, right? Like it needs to be balanced. Like I'm not saying don't do sports specific type training or specific type whatever. No, we need that. But we also need a balance of GPP, which allows for, us to create this continuum of the transferability scale mm. of the tactical athlete or whatever you want to look at it. But again, you need it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to like, ultimately you, you can't get more specific than you can't get more specific in terms of training than doing the job. Yep. But we need to be able to put the athlete or fighter, the tactical professional 
we need to be able to put them in the best possible position to survive as much of that specific those specific reps as possible because like we use we use your, your story from earlier as an example we we know that you're going to be carrying a real heavy work and going on over uneven ground in terms of your longevity in terms of you not thinking of just oh, this tour in terms of you thinking of maybe four or five tours in the future plus another 15 20 years of, of kind of teaching and all that other stuff we can't have you only being able to lunge back. Was it your left leg? You said dropping dropping to one knee on left yep. leg. We can't have that as your only option because real quick, we know that, like you said, with the with the ultra stuff, that's gonna that's gonna kind of run through its its rep cycle, its burn cycle real fast. So it's about how can we use how can we use training, and by that I mean kind of the stuff we're doing in the gym to support and allow you to do more work specific stuff so you can do that longer so you can be better at your your kind of profession and career and stuff dude 100 100 <laughs> well that's been a an enjoyable hour um those who have listened and have any more questions um if you want to reach out to us please do george at softly.com matt at softly.com and we're going to continue putting out more information about all this stuff we're going to continue to you know share more of what we're doing and we're excited about it. Like I said, this is something that I think we're finally able to kind of talk about more in terms of, you know, getting our thoughts out and having it come across. So if you guys have any topics you guys want to hear us talk about or anything, send them our way. Again, thanks for listening. Matt, you got anything, homie? No, no, just appreciate you guys' time. Thank you. Thank you, George. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. And if you're new to listening to the show, guys, make sure you head over to train.softly.com and check out our 10-day or 7-day trial um and see what we have if you're new and if those who are listening please share this with anybody outside of the circle that'd be rad um kind of get this this idea of thinking how to approach training from a from from a goal perspective training system and not so much of a process training system so thanks again until next time laters